Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our one of our guest hosts, uh, Brian Bashan, who has uh, quite an interesting background where uh, he, he started off as, as a priest. He went into executive search, and now I guess he's a He's a career coach and uh, like an evolutionary, the chief evolution officer in his company. And I'd, I'd love if you can elaborate uh, a little bit on what you're doing now, and then we'll uh, get into more of your backstory later on. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. It's a joy to be uh, speaking with you today and to your audience. So thank you. And so I come, uh, I live in Toronto, uh, a native of the United States, but I, I live here now. And I founded a company called Evolution Evolution, and it's named twice on purpose. The first evolution is symbolic of our natural evolution as humans, uh, our DNA, how a pandemic affects all of humanity. But it's really that second evolution that's most important, the evolution that we can own and how we choose to evolve both personally and professionally to be fully aligned for the greatest impact in the world. And that's where I spend my time. So I call myself the chief evolution officer. Um, and the reason is right now I work mostly, I have three platforms. One is one-on-one with executives, uh, professional leaders to help them to evolve, to help them as they transition even more deeply into their leadership to be fully aligned. That it's not just about their work, it's about the mission and the impact they can have on the people around them and in the world and while still having great success. And I work also with organizations and running workshops, retreats, and seminars. And one of my favorite things is speaking, speaking about topics that are near to my heart. That's amazing. So uh, I love if we could uh, step back and get a little bit more uh, to know about you growing up. So, so what was Brian like a- as a kid? Uh, what, what are some like the, the earliest uh, fond memories that you have? And then uh, we'll probably go into the journey of how you got from uh, little Brian <laughs> to where you yeah. are right now. Sure. So little Brian is the youngest of five children. Um, but I was a huge, there's a huge age gap between myself and the older, so 16 years. So I was one of those, oh my goodness, we're pregnant kind of uh, babies. My <laughs> parents were not uh, planning on that. They thought they were completely done. So I kind of grew up like an only child in many ways because all my siblings were gone by the time I was in the fourth grade. And I grew up um, on the North Shore of Boston, about 25 miles north. And I had a great childhood. I loved elementary school. My elementary school teachers and my friends were so special. I was really fortunate, um, you know, because I grew up with my parents is the main, you know, aspect, not many siblings. I was really fortunate to do a lot of traveling with them. Mm-hmm. And, and that was amazing, you know, and I just really had a great childhood growing up. And it was, it was wonderful where we lived at the end of our streets was a beautiful wildlife sanctuary. And I really think that influenced me um, in my life because even now I still love going into nature. I'm a city guy. I live downtown in the city, but I love escaping to be with in a forest and among nature. And so that's, you know, kind of what set my life. I had a really lovely childhood, um, great education, great family, given a lot of opportunities 
and uh, was very happy. That's amazing. Can, can you recall a couple, maybe one or two of the uh, travel um, expeditions that you might have had? Because not a lot of kids, apart from the, the typical vacations, uh, they, they didn't really get to travel with their parents. But uh, are, are there any kind of memorable ones or really kind of influential ones that you encountered? Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate. I always remember, I think I was in like the fifth grade. And, um, and it was like horrible. It was like, it was like, I don't know, February or something it was snowing. <laughs> and I remember going through the kitchen. And I remember seeing on the counter in one area, there was like this information about Bermuda and it was like these brochures and different things. And it was, I saw the dates and it was going to be during the upcoming spring vacation. And I just got my mind, like, we're going to Bermuda, like we're going to Bermuda. And I remember like getting all excited. My parents hadn't said anything. And so one night I kind of brought it up to my mom, I said, so are we going away? And she, she was like, no, like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, your father and I, that's old materials. And then she came in later that night when I was doing homework and she, and she was joking. She said, actually, here's your plane ticket. And um, I remember going there. I remember going there uh, and just, we went several times and it was just beautiful. The other time I really loved was my sister lives in Dallas, Texas. And, um, my mother was flying down there for a few days and it was a Friday night. And these are the days you still had like hard copy tickets. You know, this is, you know, when I was a kid and I remember my father handed me the envelope and said, Hey, Brian, can you just check to make sure your mom's ticket is in there for tomorrow to go to Dallas? And I said, yeah, so I did. And when I looked, there was a plane ticket with my name and his name. And he said, when we drop off your mother tomorrow at the airport, you and I are going across and we're flying to New York city for the day. Cool. And I remember my dad and I, we flew to Manhattan and for the whole day, that was my first time. And I remember we went to the world trade center, you know, walking on the very top. He took me out for dinner. And that was my first time in New York where I ended up living many years later. And it just was a special moment of just myself and my dad at like, I don't know, it was like 11, 10 or 11 years old. And it was just really special. That's amazing. And c- can you tell us a little bit more about that, that wildlife sanctuary? I'm a little bit curious about uh, that and, and how it influenced you and, and maybe others around you that influenced you on your ultimate career path. Yeah. So the wildlife sanctuary, you know, was just at the end of our street, it was like these, you know, for those that lived around there, it was just, okay, there's a wildlife sanctuary. There's all these paths that you could go walking for hours, you know? And in the winter time, I would actually take my cross country skis, walk down the street and then go skiing through the paths. But there's this one area in there called the rockery that it's like a little pond and these like these rock formation caves that are around there. And it was just magical. Like when you go through there as a kid, there's like these caves and it's, you're going around. And I loved that feeling of just being, you felt like you were in another world. Uh, and it was just, it just always made me feel safe. And there was a sense of excitement of being connected in the in nature and just ha- how it had its own energy. And, um, and I just always found it really peaceful and a real gift. And is that uh, one of the areas that kind of drew you into into the, the priesthood? Because that seemed to me, at least from our last discussion, that was one of the main uh, kind of career paths that, that you went into. How was that journey uh, to, to be called by God or whatever the, the experience was uh, to get there? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's important to understand. I think family context is, is important to understand. I mean, I grew up Catholic. We, you know, we went to church on Sundays. You know, I did like the religious education. You know, I was involved with that. But, you know, we weren't like, it wasn't like that religion was like, so overpowering in the life. You know what I mean? It was, it was a normal balanced family. However, God and faith and religion was spoken about at home. So for example, if I was a child and I was studying for a test and I was really anxious, you know, it would often to say, you know, listen, like do your best study, be prepared, say a prayer, you know, you know, that's, uh, you know, offer it to God and, and know you're not alone. So there was a sense of integrating a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I think the sanctuary, there was one moment I remember, I think I was maybe in high school or something. And I remember it was Easter Sunday. And I don't know why I went for a walk there by myself. Maybe it was before like everyone was coming over to the house for the Easter dinner or something. I just wanted to get out for a little bit. And I went for a walk through there. It was a beautiful Easter Sunday. And I always remember these butterflies that came around me. Like okay. I always remember that. And it was just beautiful, like an Easter moment. So it, when I think of the sanctuary going through there, it was just, yeah, there was a connection with, I think there was a connection between nature and God. For myself, when I was in high school, there was a little bit of a, a desire to, you know, maybe think about priesthood, but it wasn't really till university that I took more concrete steps to really pursue that uh, formally uh, to be enrolled in, you know, the seminary. Then uh, w- bring us back to, to high school and, and well, most people that they're preparing for university, they're trying to figure out, well, do I do sciences? Do I do business? Do I do humanities? Do I do something else? Like what, what was the, the thought process in your head and what were you considering uh, with like the priesthood in the back of your head, I guess? Yeah. So one of the things that early in high school that I was interested in was always medicine. I've always been like really intrigued by medicine, always like physicians and like how, you know, the whole healthcare system. And that was something I really inspired to. And I remember there were a couple of doctors on the streets and I remember speaking to one of our neighbors. And I remember saying to him like, oh, I, you know, I'd love to, you know, do this. And he was a surgeon. And he said, Brian, do you like to sleep? And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, I do. He said, don't be a surgeon. He said, you know, because you're going to have very early hours. But the issue was science did not come natural for me. Okay. You know, like we all have subjects that come very natural. And science was one of those I always had to spend more time on, whether biology, chemistry, whatever it might be, it, it just, it was harder. And so I came to realize that science probably was not the area for me because okay. if you're struggling in basic biology and chemistry, you're gonna have a hard time in medical school. So my focus really was on my strengths, which was writing, which was communications, and that's what I was thinking about was in terms of uh, communications uh, for university, some form of uh, communications, whether it was broadcasting or, you know, being involved in that. That's kind of what my interest was. And were there any uh, influences from, from mom and dad or the, the older siblings? Because they would have gone off and they're probably uh, in careers already. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Did, yeah. Were any of them in kind of the, the business communications, the, the, the writing areas? So my sister, who is the oldest, I have a a sister, twin brothers, another brother and myself. My sister was the oldest, actually was a professional actress and um, had later uh, opened up her own theater company and uh, became a a director. 
So yes, I think it was natural. Like, I mean, it was a sense of, you know, she was definitely in that. She also was a very savvy business person too. So she was a good combo of both. I think, you know, my parents always supported whatever we wanted to do. I think there was also a sense of, you know, whatever you do, be the best at it. And, you know, I think that really came through because my father was a self-made man. You know, he ended his career as uh, chairman and CEO of a bank, you know, started as, you know, um, at a very young age, kind of the entry level job and really built himself up. So he always said, whatever you do, be the best at what you do. And um, that was kind of the underlying um, aspect of our life. Cool. I like your dad because that's what I try to tell my kids. Like, I don't care what you end up doing, just end up being the best, whatever it is. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And my dad, you know, later, you know, this is jumping way ahead. I know we're staying, you know, in the back, but when I decided to resign from the priesthood and move forward, he was the first one I told. Mm. And, and, you know, he always made it quite clear to me, even when I went to the seminary, he said, he goes, listen, if you decide to leave, there's never shame upon you. It's all about just making a new decision. Hmm. And, um, and that's kind of how he lived his life. And, and he always saw that, great, okay, you want to do something else, make a right decision, think it through, but be the best at it and right. bring all your gifts to it. Don't shortchange yourself. That's amazing. So, so walk us through. So you're, you're interested, you have a sister that kind of, well, she didn't kind of pave the way for you, but at least uh, showed you that it's an option. Um, How did you ultimately like choose the program that you went in? And then uh, what happened during that process that you mentioned that you uh, further considered uh, the priesthood? So, so what was kind of that uh, decision? So one of the things that happened was at the end of high school, I, I had thought about it. You know what I mean? It was there, you know what I mean? A little bit. I think for myself, I think it's important to understand, like, I was a great kid. I did, I did well in school. I, you know, I enjoyed my life. It was great. But I think we all are spiritual beings. We all have something within us, you know, that is drawing to be connected. And for myself as a child, I think I was always that student that really had compassion for the, for the kid that might have been being made fun of. Um, you know, trying to reach out. I was very sensitive on that side, which is, is beautiful. And so that sense of, you know, when I went through confirmation and, and really looking at that, I was in high school, I was open to it. Like there was something beautiful. There's something, there was something that drew me. So I did think about it at the end of high school. And there was a program that I went to the summer after high school. I went for a few weeks and it was in Connecticut and it was through a particular organization, Catholic organization to see, to maybe think about it. And I knew when I was there, I'm like, this is not where I want to be. This is <laughs> okay. not what I want at all. And especially with that particular organization. So I decided that I just wanted to go on from a university. I was already accepted and I, okay. and I went to university and I went to a Catholic university uh, in Ohio. And, um, and that really came to me. It really found me. I really wanted to go to, you know, university, stay in the Boston area where some of the best schools are, you know, in the States and, and love that. But I went to a small university in Ohio that fit me at the time quite well. And, uh, and that was a real gift. Cool. So, so walk us through kind of that um, process of going through school. And then uh, what was it before or after grade graduation that you started uh, considering the, going to the priesthood? 
Yeah. So I graduated from high school and then, you know, I went to uh, university it was in Ohio mm-hmm. and, and it was absolutely fabulous because I liked a few things about it. One, I liked that it wasn't in New England, you know, so I mean, I love New England and it's beautiful and I love Boston, but it's also very parochial, like it's very parochial. And so I loved being in the Midwest and I loved being with students that came from all over the U.S. And it was a different culture. It was, you know, just a different environment. And I had a blast. I just had so much fun there. And and it was good to be away uh, from the family kind of you know, you're kind of under the safety of the umbrella, you know, you're still connected with family, but you're kind of on your own. And I studied in Austria half of my junior year, which was okay. wonderful. And when I was in Austria, I got involved, they had, um, you know, a Catholic mass, you know, for the students, and I got involved to be a reader. And then I got involved to do some other things. And then when I came back to the US for my senior year, of undergraduate university, I still stayed involved with the chaplaincy office in Ohio. And it was at that moment, I remember a couple of friends of mine said to me, you know, Brian, have you ever thought about being a priest, you know, or I know you said you once had thought about in high school, like, you know, you know, you should really think about this. And so there was an advertisement posted. I remember this, it was in March of my senior year in undergrad, that there was going to be a retreat for anyone that was thinking about maybe a possible, uh, you know, vocation to the priesthood. And it was going to be in Pittsburgh. And I went to it. I signed up and I went to it. And that was the weekend I kind of made the decision to explore it further. Cool. And how different was that compared to that experience in, was it in high school? Because that was kind of a similar type of um, purpose, right? You were trying to say, if if you want to go into priesthood, uh, what was different about it? Was it just because you, you got older and you went to experience or, or was the organization and the process all different or? It was, it was a lot of things. First of all, I think it was, first of all, my own personal evolution at that time. Like I had cool. lived, you know, I was still very young, obviously, right? <laughs> I was like 21, but there's a difference between when you're 18 to 21, almost 22, you know, I had university experience. I lived away from home. I lived overseas, right. had all these friends. I had fun. I was, you know, there was a big social life and it was that, that was different. Second, the organization that it's, you know, that I went for that summer program was completely different than this experience. And I was looking at things in a different mindset with a little more freedom. And what I liked was it was an approach of this is the next step. Sometimes to apply to the seminary is a next step to explore further to see if there really is something here sure. where the high school experience, that summer program was almost, they were saying, okay, you're ready to do this and move forward. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I don't like this. You know what I mean? It was a sense of making that decision a little bit more on your own. So it gave me the confidence and it gave me the sense of, I was going to apply to the seminary in Boston. So it was back where my family was at. And I really wanted that. So it just aligned and it, to be quite honest, it just felt right. It just intuitively felt like the right next step. Cool. Was there a lot of like decision-making in that or is it really more of a gut that said, you know what, everything feels so, so there wasn't really a question on either side. So, you know, there is, there is, you do think through things, you sure. know, one of the things that I think happens is 
And this is something that I paid a lot of attention to in my life, that when there's a movement, whether it's towards looking at a new job, uh, a, a relationship, uh, making a decision, there's usually synchronicities of things that happen around that. Mm-hmm. And I always see those as small kind of winks, so to speak, of the universe saying, mm-hmm. okay, you're going in the right direction. You know, things keep happening. You know, you often hear people say like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, this person just said this to me or that just happened. Well, okay, well, it's happening for a reason. Right. So there was some of those things that happened, but it was also, it's not just that you call up the seminary and you say, I want to go to the seminary. There was a several month application process. And each one of those steps helped to kind of affirm that, okay, this is the next step. So, you know, you had to write essays, you know, you had to get recommendations, you had to go for psychological testing, you had to have interviews. And each one of those steps just kind of kept affirming, okay, this is the right next thing to do. And and that helped me to move forward in confidence to embrace that. And I approached the seminary as this is the next step to test it rather than going into saying, I'm going to be a priest. No, I'm going into explore it and let's see where it keeps going. Cool. And if you were to kind of reach out to folks that are interested in uh, taking a look at uh, vocations and exploring that path, uh, what are some of the things that you would recommend to them? Or is it really just following the steps, like the, the, the seven parts of the application, is it, is it literally just that? Or are there other things that you would have, um, if I had gone back, I might've done this or that. Yeah. So, you know, if I had to, you know, this is always the great question, right? Is it, what is something you could tell your younger self? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, what would you say? So I think for myself, I think the biggest aspect is this, that I, like I said earlier, had a sense of spirituality, kind of very in tune to others, a sense of maybe, you know, connection with, you know, I call it the the divine, you know what I mean? That, that connection there. I think the difference is when I was a child, I just thought, okay, that means you have to be a priest because spirituality was connected to religion, which was connected to the Catholic church, but that's not the case. It can also mean being connected to having now, like I have a meditation practice and and how I live that out in a very different way. So I would encourage anyone that's kind of maybe feeling that, or they feel that looking at that is to say, there are other ways to live that out. So so be open to that. And I think our family uh, environment can have an impact on how we want, how we think we should live things out. So that's not to say I regret in any way, shape or form what I did. It was magnificent and beautiful but I realize now it's a wider perspective of how I would look at that. But I encourage anyone pursue it, but also be open to maybe some of the other paths that might be there. Cool. And if you kind of walk us through some of the, the, the magnificence that happened <laughs> during that process. So, so now you've gone through several stages and now you're on your way to become a priest. Uh, what was that process like? And then the, the priesthood itself, how, how was uh, that as, as kind of a career path? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, the kind of the behind the scenes view, you know, the seminary is, is interesting, you know, it was for me, it was five years. So you get a graduate degree, it was a rigorous academic formation. The seminary in Boston at the time is also connected in a collaboration with 
Harvard Divinity, Boston University, Boston College. So I was able to take graduate courses in all of those places. Cool. But I lived at the seminary, had courses there. There was formation. There was definitely spiritual practices there, et cetera. And you also had pastoral work each year through the seminary. My first assignment in the seminary at 22, I was sent to the Women's State Prison. Oh, no. And I found out later that I was sent there because I was one of the younger students and it's a tough assignments. Okay. So they try and test, you know, they try and test you out. But I really excelled when I was there. Like I ended up, you know, teaching, engaging these different programs that I continued on throughout the seminary going there, even after the assignment concluded. And then as a priest, I still went back there, uh, you know, to help out, which was really amazing. And I did hospice work. And so when it became time to be ordained, I was, I was 27, which is still young. I had a deep sense of this was my, this was my path, like a, 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 an alignment with what I felt God was calling and also to be of service. And I felt one of my gifts in that was I was very real, like I was very human. So I think I was diocesan. So I enjoyed, you know, going out for dinner. I enjoyed seeing people. I enjoyed being part of life. And I think that is what made it a little bit different that I really, you know, I wasn't some far off person. I was involved and that was great. So I was sent to a parish the first four years. And I loved what I loved is that it was a young community. I did tons and tons of weddings. Like I could have been like in Vegas, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like it just, it was wonderful to be part of families at that time, which then led to, you know, doing lots of baptisms, also being there for people who were in very difficult moments, you know, whether in, in death, um, going through a crisis. And, and that was a real privilege. And those, those were the things that I really loved in that kind of, frontline work as a priest. And then I got a phone call uh, on a Thursday night, uh, four years later, uh, to come in the next day for a meeting. They wanted to speak about an opportunity. Okay. And I was told that the new cardinal had selected me to be his new private secretary, which would mean like chief of staff. And when you get that role, your life changes. And, <laughs> you know, because you're now being groomed most, most times for a lot more leadership. And I lived with the Cardinal. And when he went to the Vatican, I was at the Vatican. We had numerous trips there and stayed there. When he went to go meet with the Pope, I was there. When he went to the White House, I was there. And that was an incredible global learning and supporting a leader. Um, and also bringing out more gifts within me. And, and, that, and also coming to embrace what was then bubbling in my heart as well. Cool. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, that, that bubbling. So how did that transition? Because, uh, well, we had a spoiler at the beginning where you went out of the priesthood. Right. <laughs> but, but Surprise! That... It's a shocker. It's a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> but what was that kind of bubbling? When were like the first kind of inclinations that, you know what, uh, what I thought I signed up for, or, or maybe it, it did exactly what uh, you wanted to, but then you want to do something else. Yeah. What were those uh, first moments like? So I'm a firm believer for anyone who's listening, you know, one of the, one of the gifts in life as we keep evolving is that where you are is exactly where you need to be. And that's, what's preparing you for what's next. And so the gift of getting that opportunity to work for the Cardinal was exactly what I needed and where I needed to be. 
So first of all, it aligned with my strengths and I loved that. But what I started realizing is that it was much more of a kind of an executive role. You know, I wasn't saying mass in the parish. I wasn't visiting the sick. I wasn't, you know, doing those things. I was coordinating and being master of ceremonies for an event. I was going to meetings. I was uh, traveling to the Vatican with the Cardinal, coordinating schedules there and being present and going to different ceremonies. And I enjoyed it. And I also realized that I didn't miss what originally drew me to become a priest. Mm -hmm. I wasn't missing any of that, but I really was enjoying that aspect. At the same time, I also came to realize that maybe from doing all those weddings and seeing people that I wanted to love another person, mm. that the life of being a priest is beautiful. But I think when I look back, I was very fixated on becoming a priest, following, like going through the seminary, achieving, continued, and then later came to realize that I also wanted to be authentic to who I was. Sure. I was, you know, a gay man that I wanted to be free. I didn't want to, you know, live in the shadow of that. I also wanted to love another person freely and bring my gifts out to the world. And I knew that I could do that um, with ease and with joy. And that's when I started to realize I needed to take a look at what was bubbling up inside. And um, so I did. So, so tell us more about uh, that exploration or that decision-making. Um, there's probably a bit of back and forth and like co compare and contrast and things like that. What were some of the key factors that led to uh, the ultimate decision that you said, you know what, I have to uh, leave the priesthood? Yeah. So I think the first is this, and this is something I say, and I, I speak about it all the time. So for anyone that's listening and might be feeling something bubbling in their heart, whether it's personal or professional, this is the number one question to ask yourself. What do I desire? Because within the desire is always truth. And that truth will never, ever lie to you. Our opportunity is to be open to what that truth is. And so I had that desire that, wow, I, I really think I want to live a different kind of life. You know, I don't want to be Father Brian. I want to be free. I want to be truly authentic to who I am. I was kind of a late bloomer, you know, but I wanted that. And so when I knew that and I was able to embrace that within my heart and not be afraid of like, okay, there's something here. The first thing I did is I um, wanted to work with someone professionally to kind of test it out. You know what I mean? Just to make, to help me unpack it. Because oftentimes people, you know, can make drastic decisions. It's like a work. Oh my gosh, I hate the job. I don't like the boss. This is right. awful. And then it's the wrong decision because they haven't consciously taken the time to unpack why they want to leave. What's the desire? So I worked with this wonderful um, psychologist uh, for almost nine, 10 months and he was uh, Jewish. And I say that on purpose. I wanted someone who was not in the church. I didn't want anybody who was Catholic. I wanted someone neutral. I wanted almost someone, someone who was almost atheist that just could look at things objectively. And he was amazing and he helped me unpack why I wanted to leave. And also when you do that, it unpacked a lot of expectations that I had placed on myself, family expectations, 
my fear of what would other people think? What would I do for work? What does this mean? You know, what all, all these things. And by talking it out and looking at that, it cleared. So when I went to the Cardinal many months later and told him that I wanted to resign and take a, a leave and move forward. And then when I told family and friends, most were supportive, but there were some that were not, and they were actually quite aggressive and, and mean-spirited in many ways in how they responded back. It didn't deter me. It didn't hold me back because I had done the inner work. And I think that's the most important aspect for anyone that wants to make a career change, a relationship change. You have to do the inner work because when you do that, then you're free and you have clarity to do the external next steps. And that's what I did to help me be able to move forward with ease and clarity. Cool. Do you have some suggestions in terms of how one might be able to do some of that inner work before they make these kind of big decisions for, because a lot of folks, I mean, uh, they do career switches, maybe not as drastic, <laughs> but, but still uh, of a similar level. What, what is some of that inner work that uh, helps you and, and could help others? Sure. So the first thing I always tell everyone is this, hold your cards close. One of the biggest things that people do is they talk too much. You know, like I'm an extrovert. So obviously you can tell I love chatting with you today and having a conversation. However, when it comes to making a very big decision or a change in your life, it's important to be selective on who you share the information with and why. Right. Because you want people that can be unconditional. You want people that can give you insight. But if you tell too many people, they're going to keep asking you questions and you may not be prepared to answer them. And all it does is cause self-doubt within yourself thinking, oh, they asked me that. I don't know what that means. And so I would say right away, be selective in who you share the information with. That's number one. And maybe that means working with someone professionally or someone like myself, you know, as a coach to help unpack that. But that's important. Number two, I think it's very important to also embrace the gift of time. Hmm. That sometimes we try and control the outcome, you know, of saying, I need to make this decision because, you know, when year end comes, I want to be out of the job. I'll stay on for the bonus, but I don't want this. Well, no, sometimes you have to release the timeline. It's important to have a time frame, but I would recommend to people to say, you know what? I'm thinking in the next six months, I'd like to move on something, but also embrace that it may take longer or it may take less. I think that's very, very important. And the third piece is this. I would say really spend some time and you know, write down what do I desire. And every day, just jot down some things that come to your mind, you know, and and don't and release the outcome. You know, don't try and plan from everything, but sometimes just say, what do I desire? Be brutally honest and also recognize what might be holding you back if there's a fear attached to something that you're seeking and, and looking at that, because that will indicate the fear or any of the blockages that might be there indicate so often what you need to do next. Cool. So, so you've done the inner work and, and you made the decision to, to leave. Some people responded positively, some people not so much. And now you're on this new path. What are kind of the, the first 
a uh, few days, weeks, months uh, on there where now you're, you're in uh, uncharted waters. Uh, what, what does that feel like? It was amazing. To be quite <laughs> honest with you, you know, the hardest part of, you know, leaving for me, and I think for anyone who's listening that has either made a decision to leave a job and, you know, it's been a, let's say it's been a toxic environment. They've made the decision to leave, but they're staying on for a few more weeks. They get their nose. Sometimes those weeks before you leave are the most challenging, right? But once you leave, it's great. Same for me. So for me, once I was able to say I'm leaving, I secured a great job in New York City. And once I left, I remember driving out of the cathedral with all my belongings um, and drove to New York. And I had a job, I had everything lined up and it was such, there was such a sense of relief. It really was. So for me, uh, it was exciting. I, I found it very exciting and I never had any doubt uh, of, you know, what was happening. And I think for me, one of the biggest moments that confirmed that I had done a lot of deep inner work, that I had peace, I was in the right place was I landed a job with the American Cancer Society in New York. I was a director and they were so great. Like, you know, they waited for me to start in February. I started on a Monday. That Monday night, I spoke with my dad. He had been ill. He had had uh, cancer, but he was doing really well through treatment. And the next day, Tuesday, that afternoon, I got a phone call when I was at work that my father died unexpectedly. Oh, no. And so there I am. I remember I'm in New York City. I've been gone 10 days. And now my father has passed away unexpectedly. And I have to go to my new boss and say, guess what? I have to go back to Boston. And I had to go back. And, you know, it's quite a moment, right? You've just left. You now have to go back. You have to face different people, et cetera. But you know what? I had such peace. And I knew that when I was there and went through that, the funeral, and, and I was excited to go back to New York. And I remember at the end of that, I'm like, that's where I need to be. And I never doubted that. And to me, that was just a great, a great gift as well. I know I use that term a lot, gift, but it's true because it is a gift that I realized this is where I need to be. And, um, and that was my new life. But there definitely were moments. The hardest part for me was when people would say things, especially when I started the job. Oh, where were you before you started working here? And it's like, well, where do I begin? So trying to come up with your, you know, your, your elevator uh, speech in like one minute, it kind of articulated that took some time as well. But um, yeah, it was, it was actually more exciting than anything. Yeah, we might, uh, if you're willing to come back for a future episode, talk about in more detail about like the job search, starting off as a priest, because <laughs> talk yes. about like transferable skill sets that, that you're not in corporate or work at, at all, uh, but in a totally different context. But um, yeah. so, so walk us through kind of the, that job that, that you started, uh, hopefully enjoyed. And then uh, I know you went into like uh, executive search and then and now obviously with evolution, evolution, what are some of the kind of key milestones along that path? Yeah. So I think for myself, you know, it was interesting and it would be great. I'd be happy to come back because I do a lot of work about transferable skills. How do you do that? And, and all of that. And so I landed in the world of fundraising and philanthropy. It wasn't something I was like, oh, that's what I want. It kind of found me and it fit and, and it really fit well. Um, and for what I wanted to do, I went on to become executive director at NYU Medical 
and then executive director at University of Toronto for the Faculty of Medicine, and then got recruited to become a partner in recruitment for a couple of years. And I really have to say, all of those positions were amazing because it was about leadership, it was about relationships, and for me, it was about impact, you know, with a team. So, cause I led, you know, teams. And so that really was an incredible opportunity when I was a partner in recruitment that I started to ask that same question again, what do I desire? Mm. And I desired to bring it all together. That sense of helping leaders, whether they're executives or they're just their first job, help them to be fully integrated inwardly so they can make the greatest um, external success in their life professionally. And I love working with people who are decision makers. You know, I've supported them. I've been one because those individuals really can transform an entire culture in people's lives. And, and that's why I, you know, move forward to establish evolution, evolution, to bring my expertise all together in a new way to help them evolve to the highest level of themselves. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, again, we might have you back for even more details on all of that, but I love uh, before we, you, we leave, uh, could you share some of kind of any general swike, the stuff I wish I knew earlier, or uh, I don't know, any of the, the key milestones that, that you encountered, if you could, could reach back to, I guess, uh, younger or slightly older Brian or whatever, Brian. Yeah, sure. Whatever age, pick a Brian. Pick a Brian. Yeah, what are the key ones you would share? Yeah, so without a doubt, I would say, you know, it's something I would go back to and, you know, just affirm on a positive level that it's all about relationships. And I, I cannot say that enough. The success to being in New York City and raising millions in revenue, especially during a huge economic downturn when I was there in 2008, 2009, and raising the most, it was all about relationships mm-hmm. and cultivating really good networks. I love being on social media. I love connecting online and you know, like just like how we did. It's amazing. And that is where we're at in the world and that will continue. But you also have to nurture relationships authentically and engage with them. And I can't stress that enough because that is, continues to be the hallmark. People will engage with you. They will buy your services. They will hire you often, not because that you're the best in the industry. You obviously will bring something, but because of how you connect with them. Sure. How you listen, how you follow up, how you bring a presence. And that is something that I would just continue to affirm to my younger self and for everyone else, that is so essential. I think the other aspect too is, you know, definitely always be open, always be open, be open to opportunities, be open to evolving, you know, when opportunities come along, sometimes we get stuck and to think, Oh, what would that happen? You know, we place a lot of self judgment on ourselves. be open, just keep being open. And that will always lead you to even greater success. 
that's amazing. What came to mind for the first one about relationships, it's, it's really a, about trust, right? So that, that person mm-hmm. that connects with you, do you feel that uh, they'll, they can do the job, uh, but not even that? Uh, will, will they have your intents in mind or, or are they doing it just for a paycheck um, or, or that sort of thing, right? And the yeah. uh, open to opportunities, yeah. Sometimes life takes you where you least expect. So sometimes you would need to listen to, to the signs around and, and uh, ask yourself that question now. What do you desire? <laughs> Maybe yeah, exactly. on an ongoing basis, uh, on a continual basis to say, it is what I'm doing today, what I desire and, and see uh, where that takes you. And uh, it, it might be uh, an obvious answer or it might be something totally different. So uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's, that's amazing advice. And if, if folks would want to uh, connect with you, uh, where, where could they do so? And then what are some uh, future aspirations for Brian and Evolution Evolution? Sure. So first of all, welcome to hear from anyone. Um, a couple platforms you can reach out to me. Definitely very active on LinkedIn. So feel free to send me a connection there. Say you heard the interview here on this wonderful uh, podcast. And um, I, I'm very good. Like I always follow up like within 24 hours like or less. I'm, I'm very good about connecting. My website is www.evolutionevolution.com. It's going through an evolution right now to be all <laughs> updated. So what you see is exactly not where it's at, but that's okay. But you can connect through me there. I'm also on Clubhouse, uh, so you can connect there. And, you know, future aspirations, one of the biggest aspirations I have for Evolution Evolution is I really desire and will move forward in creating retreat formats for leaders to come together. Hmm. Because I just find that when you create space that you come together, that you give yourself that time, that's where you're more open. You know, you're more open to exploring where things are at. And so this would definitely be a collaborative effort with others and in conversations and looking at that because it's powerful. And I think if there's anything from the pandemic that has showed showed us, it's two things. One, leaders are more awake, you know, to use a term that's very common right now. And so they're more open to wanting to do some of that inner work so they can really be even more effective in their leadership. And a retreat is an incredible environment to be able to do that in different formats with hiking, meditation, breathing, seminars. And I want to be part of that. And it's something I love and I want to create that. I want to have a format um, for people to evolve in that setting. So that's one of my biggest aspirations. That's amazing. And so we're looking forward to well, anybody who wants to attend one of those retreats and, and uh, at a leadership level, kind of get to know themselves and other people more. And uh, thanks so much again, Brian, for uh, joining us. And hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. My pleasure. And great questions. Thank you so much. It was like a journey through life there. So you brought up a lot of nice memories. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about the, uh, the sanctuary all, all since we've been talking. So that's, that was really nice. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.